Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About Review Podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow the podcast on all forms of social media at about to review Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you go to abouttoreview.com, you can find full show notes and links to all of the guests. And also go to abouttoreview.threadless.com if you want to support the show and get a t-shirt. On today's episode, I am once again joined by returning guest Ian Densmore from Drunk Sunshine. Welcome back, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about, because it is the first episode of 2018, Aha. this will be a 2017 retrospective. I love it. Uh, and similar to last year's retrospective, uh, we're going to be talking about movies that fall into three categories. Mm-hmm. The goodest of the good. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, goodest is not a word. Uh, the baddest of the bad. Yep. And the ugliest of the ugly films of 2017. I'm excited for that. I think most people are. <laughs> uh, I thought about starting with those, but I was like, no, it's a good buildup to get to the ugliest of the ugly oh, yeah. films. Yeah, and there's some really ugly ones this year, too, so that'll be fun. <sighs> it was it was pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that will be on this episode. Before we get into that, of course, we have to go to the theme song. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So, an explanation of this odd system that I came up with uh, for my year-end. As Ian and I are both members of the Seattle Film Critics Society, it is the time of the year when everybody puts out their top 10 list for 2017. Why would I want to be like everybody else? Well, I mean, it would add some structure and stability. Well, maybe, eventually. Eventually. <laughs> uh, but that is not currently how I do things. Instead, we're each going to talk about three films in each category. Now, the goodest of the good, those are the top three films that we really enjoyed that gave us the most, you know, feeling or that we we just felt the most about. Now, some of these, dear listeners, they might not be the Oscar frontrunners. They might not, you know, be those choices. But these are the ones that for us were those top three good films, the best of the good films. Now, the next category gets a little bit weird. The baddest of the bad. Uh (laughs) The way that I have to explain this again is these are three films that we either were excited for that did not live up to the hype or that were just they had a chance to be good and they just could not get there. So they are the best of that group. So the baddest of the bad. (laughs) Yes, that sort of makes sense. (laughs) Kind of, sort (laughs) of. Yeah. Uh, and then, a lot of, course, of those to choose from, too, to be honest. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and then the ugliest of the ugly, of course, are the movies that we warned you about, uh, that we that I either talked about on a previous episode. If there are any movies that I have not talked about on an episode in 2017, then Ian will go into more of why that qualifies for one of the categories. <laughs> but the ugliest of the ugly is the most uh, self-explanatory. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, so... Ian will start with 
his goodest of the good. But before we do that, kind of a look back on 2017, you were on the board for the yep. Seattle Film Critics Society. How did you feel about this year being our first year as a critics, as an official critic society? Give us your your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants, and I think we <laughs> Very probably much so. should have been. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it took so much work from so many great people um, uh, on the board and outside of it um, mm-hmm. who helped uh, write the bylaws, um, yeah. who helped ratify them, who came to early meetings. Um those people are uh, too many to name, um, mm-hmm. but uh, they know who they are, and they did such a wonderful job helping to form this group. Um, and uh, we had a couple initial meetings. Um, we had kind of our first one with the whole entire crew, which yeah. w- uh, is immortalized in a photo somewhere on the internet. Um, uh, I think it is the profile picture for... I oddly, I oddly enough do not think it is the one for the Seattle Film Critics Society. Well, that's all right. We'll find it somewhere. It's, uh, if we all look very pensive, I think Mike. Uh, I think at, at should I see it, I think it is his banner uh, picture on Twitter. Ah, I see. I see. So. And and that's perfect as our president. Um, exactly. To, to have that up there. But um, it, it really was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I love to see all the participation that we had with mm-hmm. the uh, the nominations and then the, the voting for our uh, 2017 uh, kind of best of winners. And um, had a ton of uh, amazing uh, films to choose from this year, and yes. um, I think we chose very wisely. Um, mm. uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, most <laughs> of places, you know, we can we we can bicker if we want to. Mm. But, uh, I, I think for the most part, we did a we did a really nice job yeah. of of recognizing a lot of the films that uh, that were kind of up for these awards from, mm-hmm. from the various nominations that came in. So, um, just overall, I think it was a really good first step for us, and I think we have a lot more kind of fun interesting things to come next year nice uh yeah i agree this year it was awesome to be part of the process and to see it from those very first meetings almost two years ago you know when there were only 10 of us in the room kind of going over these things to then see kind of where it led to and as the announcements were being made on social media right and we had the actors retweeting them we had some of the directors like sean baker from florida project retweeting and thanking his cast that was amazing to see. And so especially in our first year, our first official, because last year we definitely got some good press last year. Yeah. Uh, Barry Jenkins, you know, shared a few things. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. This year it felt so much more legitimate. It did. So yeah, that was really cool. And I think moving forward, it, it is going to, we're going to be a powerhouse. Yeah. We're going to be consistent. We're going to continue to grow and, and that's going to be a really cool thing. And, and, Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully we can just get kind of deeper and more ingrained in the culture of, of film in Seattle um, and uh, and start to kind of build a, uh, a larger community out of it. I think that's really exciting. For sure. Cool. All right. So now that we talked about the 2017 awards season, uh-huh. so and what we will do is we will each give our own three. Because if we were to go back and forth each time, that would just get ridiculous. Yes. Totally uh, valid. So you will give your... Three goodest of the good of 2017. You can do it in any order. Um, I put a loose order to mine. Uh, but so if you want to go three, two, one, you can. If you just want to talk about three and they're all equal in your eyes and there are no tops, you that's, could do it that that's way. That's kind of how I do my list. Okay. <laughs> I can't I can't rank them against each other except for my number one. So I'll, okay. I'll talk about the other two and then and then get to my number one. But Sounds good. Um, go for it. Let's just dive in. Um, so I actually did... Uh, 
published my uh, top 10 of 2017. So, so mm-hmm. definitely go check that out. But um, And where can they find that? Uh, they can find that at drunksunshine.com, um, which would be great. And Or if you're following me on any social media, at Ian Dins, D-I-N-S, on Twitter is a great place to find it too. So um, let's start with number three. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not number three. Tied for number um, two, maybe. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can Whatever. do it that way. Um, and that is... Uh, that's the uh the film i tanya um nice and uh this is a film i've seen kind of start to show up on some critic lists at the end Mm -hmm. of the year it didn't really have as much um what should i say i I guess kind of awards buzz as maybe it deserved yeah Um, it was kind of weird because it had such a limited even now in january by the time this airs the rollout for this has been really weird it has been it rolled out in a in one theater here in town for a weekend or two i think for just a uh, yeah for not even for a full week no they didn't yeah. even play the weekdays which was very odd and on their social media they're they are definitely good about announcing the cities yeah but the fact that on their social media they will show a new poster and be like boston san francisco oh, sure. and they're only naming five cities at a time yeah exactly is kind of weird it has been odd and um i wish there was more buzz around it because mm-hmm. uh the film is really um an incredible kind of uh, genre mashup uh, that really works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's directed by a guy named uh, Craig uh, Gillespie, um, and he is not exactly a guy with a you know killer track record of you know of films that would have made you think, oh, this is going to have the kind of verve that you know Casino and Goodfellas mm-hmm. have in, in in many ways. Um, he did films like Million Dollar Arm and uh, Mr. Woodcock. And Lars and the Real Girl, which is a very small budget, you know, right. indie film with Ryan Gosling. And um, anyway, he he just doesn't have he doesn't have a bad track record. He just doesn't mm-hmm. have a one that kind a of very well known you know, or one that really even screams out like he had this kind of stylistic integrity um, yeah. that that shows up in this film. And I I really think what it is is a really interesting um, portrayal of Tanya Harding by Margot Robbie. Um, yeah. and uh, his, her mother is played by Allison Janney mm-hmm. in maybe one of the best performances of the entire year. Um, yeah. I Crushed really it. hope she shows up. Um, and also, um, Sebastian Stan shows up as Jeff Galuli, <laughs> mm-hmm. who is the winter soldier. And mm-hmm. like, I didn't even know that until the, the end of the film when I kind of looked him up and went, Oh my God, it is. Yeah. Um, and all of these casts, uh, all the cast is just perfectly, uh, you know, represents the people from this real life kind of tabloid, um, conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so amazing how buffoonish it is, uh, and how well executed uh, Gillespie um, kind of shows that they, or how well executed it is uh, as a film, um, yeah. because it's really hard to show stupid people still committing the crime, um, but very yeah. stupidly. <laughs> I, I don't know, like they still went through with this very elaborate plan, and it and and all this kind of stuff, and they and all it have, quote unquote worked yeah and they I mean, but they all have very conflicting stories yeah. and they even point that out throughout mm-hmm. the film during the interview process that all of their stories are different well, um, and it goes to show you that this was not some big mastermind oh, no. plan a couple people talked about something exactly a couple other people acted on it then the other people did not know about it right. like it bounced around so much so of course Nobody got the same sentence and nobody got the same because nobody knew what was the, yeah. that plausible deniability that you would want in a heist or anything like Literally that. Literally none of them have it. None of them. <laughs> <laughs> like they just, they're like, oh, wait, what happened? Like the fact that she got the call, you know, from a panicked uh, Sebastian Stan being like, 
it happened. He did it. And she was like, what happened? Yeah, what are you Who did it? About? When? Like, that was pretty incredible. Who did what? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that I'll put that as my number two and a half or whatever. Um, but definitely <laughs> right. go see I, Tanya. It is a, well, hopefully you can see it before it uh, it hits on demand or comes out on, yeah. on Blu-ray. I mean, with how, with how limited the rollout has been, I would not be surprised if they get picked up on a streaming service within a couple of months. Yeah. I, I just agree. feel like if it had some huge rollout, they'll probably just wait for the DVD in a few months. But with how sparse it has been, I feel like there very well could be some conversations, you know, in the background being like, all right, keep it in some select markets and then we'll hit a streaming service in January. And I think it also could depend on if this has any Oscar buzz outside yeah. of uh, uh, of Robbie and um, and Allison Janney. I mm-hmm. mean, they very well could both get nominated and then all of a sudden then it might that could make, force yeah. their hand. And, yeah. and late January, you could see this film ever, anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully, fingers crossed that happens because um, it is much better than I think the trailers can even lead on. Um, yeah. It was one that I was not super excited about when I first, I was like, oh, all right, I remember it happening. Uh, Margot Robbie is, is great. Sebastian Stan is great. But it was not one that I was immediately like, no. I need to see this. No, not at all. <laughs> then when I, we had a very, very limited press screening, like one yeah. that only I think three people were able to go to. Yeah. And I think they're having one more, but yeah. still. And yeah. like, I heard the buzz from that and I was like, all right, we were very fortunate that Neon sent us a screener to watch. Yes. And yeah, it took me by surprise like crazy. Yeah. And I, I'm just excited for people to see it. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's far different and far more sobering of a v- kind of vision of domestic violence and mm-hmm. and really abusive relationships uh and kind of you know paints tanya harding in a in a in a way that i don't think many people would think um you know this person w- was like uh so yeah. and the fact that tanya harding might end up going to the at least attending the oscars i'm for that is so weird <laughs> like that. a thousand percent after that is this. just bizarre yes it is but still <laughs> I, I think i think that would be a lot of fun actually okay all right i'm gonna dive into number 2.2 <laughs> or whatever all right um, so i i'm gonna go with uh off of my top 10 which is actually 12 list um get out uh okay and i, I think mm-hmm. it's something that we're we we may talk about on you know many podcasts many other lists um mm-hmm. throughout and it's showing up in every awards every um, award like bucket that you can think every of. <laughs> like every city that has been announcing awards get out is on there somewhere yep yep it, it might be in a weird category like comedy for the golden globes but i feel like because they arbitrarily split up the nominees that they have to put it somewhere it's very silly yeah the golden globes just try to get everybody to their party so pretty much yeah, yeah. I, I don't put a lot of stock into who they nominate to be quite honest but um sometimes they get it right and yeah. get outs nominated so whatever um yes yeah but i was just gonna say the same thing it seems to be winning different awards at every different um <laughs> like critic society and, mm-hmm. and things like that which is great actually i think that yeah. shows the range of the film and you know we don't really need to ha- rehash what get out is um but um, suffice it to say, Jordan Peele is, I think anybody who watched Key and Peele, who knew who he was from the Mad TV days and, and other places, knows that Jordan Peele has impeccable comic timing. He's a very yes. good writer. Um, yep. He's a really good impro- improvisational uh, actor uh, mm-hmm. as well. He's a really, really gifted um, uh, uh like caricature um, um, mm-hmm. artist in many ways. So he uh, he's very good at that. And to 
when you started to hear him talk about what he wanted to do, he has a real love of horror um, yeah. and the horror genre. And he thinks it has a lot of places to go that, that Hollywood just doesn't uses, use. But mm-hmm. it also allowed him to break in to kind of the Hollywood elite circles with a very low budget. Um, yeah. This uh, is like, it was, it was nominated for... I think in the Gothmore, so it had to be under twenty million or something I, like that. I really think it might have been under ten. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I thought it was something like seven or eight. Um, let, me, let me see if I, they, if they posted on box office. Yeah, Mojo. yeah, absolutely. And and um, I know it was. I know it was under twenty. Yeah, and, and while you're looking at that, I mean, quite honestly, it is really only takes place in one location. I mean, outside of a couple apartments early in the or, or early in the movie, and it's very possible that. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so I just looked at the on yeah, box yeah. office Mojo. Uh, which I only recently realized that there's a Seattle connection to Box Office oh, Mojo. Yeah. I had no it's, idea. Isn't it like one guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Uh, anyway, so the production budget for Get Out Now, a little inside baseball. Uh, and again, Ian went to film school, so this is old hat for him. But a lot of times when people hear production budget, they think that was just what went to film the movie. A lot of times that includes the marketing. Oh, that sure. includes so much other things. So the production budget for Get Out, Four point five million. Yeah, okay. I, I thought it was really low. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. Even sp- for a smaller studio like Bloomhouse, you know, something yep. like that, four point five is still really low. So the fact that he did this, and not only that he came out with this last February. Yeah, February is when it was released. And it has been on the tip of everyone's tongue for a year uh-huh. almost. Uh-huh is huge <laughs> it is and it, it's a massive hit what what did it end up making 200 uh, million 175.484 yeah i'd say that's a success um so the and, best... o- and of that on the foreign was only 78 oh yeah because it had such a limited foreign release because a lot of foreign markets they're, they're not going to pick this up no and i think jordan and the other filmmakers they knew that they probably understand that yeah but still making 80 million on the foreign market which is probably just the european market it's still a lot that includes the canadian market yeah. that is a ton that's a lot yeah wow um so actually so also just, worldwide 254 yeah but it's still it's an incredible success story and mm-hmm. it deservedly so it, it i just rewatched it uh again recently and I, th- I am still so impressed by all the things happening in every frame. Mm-hmm. He has kind of drenched each frame in symbolism. Um, his satire is, you know, uh, in many ways on the nose, but it doesn't really need to be subtle. Um, that's yeah. not the point. Um, and uh, I think actually wearing it on uh, on the sleeve of the film is actually of great benefit um, to it because uh, what he's satirizing is just stepping outside every day yeah <laughs> i mean that he is not a reality yes exactly so um he he just he he did a great job of kind of taking his horror influences and, mm-hmm. and uh applying them in really interesting and fun ways yep. as well and i just think he deserves a ton of credit for what he put out there um he got really wonderful actors to be a part of it as well absolutely um, and and do some really great work i mean to have Catherine keener play a bit part like that Mm-hmm. Just benefits a film like that really, you know, strongly because she's so such a seasoned veteran. Yeah. Um, and then you have a weird dude like Caleb Landry Jones, who well, yeah. he is a really <laughs> weird dude. He is a really weird dude, but <laughs> good job for his agent. Oh yeah, because he kept He's showing up in everything. Man, he got he was busy in 2017. <laughs> yeah, he showed up a lot. So, um, and even Allison Williams. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to give her some credit um, too. I mean, someone who. 
I think I heard just in lots of circles was, you know, bad mouthed in many ways um, for, you know, being this sort of one note character on girls. But I, I thought she showed a lot of range there um, yeah. and, and was really interesting. So, um, and I always butcher his name, but um, is it Daniel Kalu- Kailua or Kalua? Close, yeah. Kailua. Something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Drink. <laughs> there you go. I mean, he is deservedly getting um, acting nominations mm-hmm. and I, I hope he continues to. Um, he is really the soul of this thing. Um, yeah. He has to, he has to own a lot of scenes where it's just his eyes moving because he's paralyzed in a yep. chair under the spell of the teacup. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just an incredible actor and I really hope we get to see more of him. And I think we will. Yeah. Um, well, his next uh, film is black Panther. Yeah, of course. Comes so out next month. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I'm just really excited for not only the cast that showed up here, but, um, Mr. Peel, who's going to be going to be working a lot. Oh yeah, and he he even <laughs> talked about how he now wants to do an anthology horror film or horror series. So it is like, mean, why not? I, after this, it is, what studio is going to be like? Yeah, what you did this with four point five? Sure, we'll give you thirty. And how about you make three films? Yeah, every other year. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. I, and, you know, he could work with somebody like Bloomhouse who could probably f- foot that bill at this point. Uh, easy. Yeah. They'd let him do whatever he wants, mm-hmm. um, which would just be great. Um, so get out my number 2.1 nice. or 2.2. <laughs> um, and my number one, um, before we kick it over to you and... and um, oh, actually, get, before we do... Are we going to do that? Do you have any honorable mentions? I mean, yeah, I have a lot. But um, <laughs> I, I think two that I'll mention because one is on the tip of my tongue because I was watching the... I was mentioned to you earlier, I was watching the uh, the 4K um, mm. print of it for the first time today and saying just how stunning it was, is uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Dunkirk. Gotcha. I really... I mean, in many ways, I just like to go to the movies and be in awe of what I'm looking at. Um, and I got that experience three times this year, I, I feel. Okay. Um, just in pure spectacle. And that mm-hmm. was... War for the Planet of the Apes, um, Dunkirk, uh, and Blade Runner 2049. Like films okay. that you can just kind of let wash over you. They're just so stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like Dunkirk is really the, the best distillation of Nolan's powers. Um, hmm. His powers like of, that. You know, of being able to kind of articulate multiple timelines, which mm-hmm. you know at this point is just part of what he does. He does he it does, in every single movie. Every so. single thing. And on my Dunkirk review few months ago whenever it was i talked about he is the master of time and space yeah nobody i and people have tried (laughs) many times ever since memento came out Mm -hmm. and even tarantino who that is also a style of his but he usually goes it is pretty linear even when he starts from the end oh sure it goes you know yeah nolan the way that he can bounce in three four different time zones time periods and have it all meshed together Nobody has done as well as him, and I'm not sure if anybody will. <laughs> no, I know, and I just um, there's an avant-garde nature to Dunkirk, which is really interesting, which keeps driving me back to it. Hmm. I just really love the way he um, decided to approach it in almost a wordless kind of prologue that that is essentially 15 to 30 minutes yeah. of very little dialogue. I mean, even when he is presenting the other two timelines outside of the mole, which is the beach timeline mm-hmm. um, of the men escaping the beach. There's very little dialogue beyond 
Tom Hardy saying my fuel is good, you know, right. it's very, it's very kind of boilerplate flyboy dialogue and mm-hmm. then very boilerplate. We are, uh, we are leaving England to come get the guys in France, you know, mm-hmm. like very, very limited. Um, and I really love how he approached it that way. I mean, I think it's really interesting. There's some really incredible shots of, uh, the men on the beach, um, yeah. trying to kind of reckon with, being blown back by U-boats and all this kind of stuff where you just hear Hans Zimmer's score just kind of swallow you up. Um, And I really do think the payoff is his best payoff by far. Even uh, Interstellar movie, I'll defend to a point. Um, (laughs) I tried really hard to layer on the emotion um, and then really struggled to pay it off at the Mm -hmm. end. This movie doesn't struggle to layer on any emotion. And then to me- It is just inherent- potentially the most iconic shot of his career um, at the very end of the film with Tom Hardy and his, and his plane on the beach while the Churchill speech is being read over him. Yeah. It's certainly the most uh, iconic shot of this year, in my opinion. Wow. Um, and I just, I really admire the movie and I, in terms of big, giant, boisterous movies, um, there's just nobody who does it better right now. Okay. Nice. Um, and then my second honorable mention um, is uh, Greta Gerwig's debut feature, uh, Lady Bird. Okay, now this is surprising because that is your honorable mention. I was pretty sure that was a lock for for your best of the yes. year. Well, I mean, it's so. on my longer best of the year. You wouldn't let right. me do ten. Nope, no. I would. I would not. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to get through. So, um, okay. I I think Lady Bird is basically a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. I mm-hmm. I really do think it is. We were uh, my uh, wife uh, Brittany and I caught the end of um, the Edge of Seventeen uh, right uh, today, which I've seen a bunch of times and um, is a very comparable movie in many ways um, to this. Uh, but I I still think Lady Bird does a, a really kind of impeccable job of um, of really showing what it's like to be in a particular time and mm-hmm. just not be able to see outside of your <laughs> tiny little bubble. Um, I mean, it takes place in the exact year I was a senior in high school. She listens to the exact type yep. of music I listen to. <laughs> she is a bit more precocious and a way bigger, you know, jerk to her parents than I was, but right. You know, they have a much different dynamic family dynamic anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the econ- you you sort of feel the economy kind of enveloping her parents and and just adding that layer of sort of dread mm-hmm. on top of them um but she just has a really like natural um warmth with her actors i feel like you know sheer sharonan is a really uh brilliant brilliant actress um yeah. who can somehow play 17 just totally uh, flawlessly yeah <laughs> still at this point and uh and totally lose that accent that she has in real life, uh, which is still incredible which, to me. It took me a minute because when yeah. when uh, Mike was on yeah. the episode talking about Lady Bird, and I was like, oh, Saoirse Ronan, blah, blah. And I was like, I wonder what she has been in before. And then I started looking through and I was like, oh, I've seen her in a bunch of things. Oh, I yeah. just had no idea. She's been nominated her, like, for two Oscars. Right. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, this she's, is her? She's like 25. Yeah. She's going to be nominated for a third. I, I would not. Yeah. There is... A 99% chance that she'll be nominated for Best Actress. Yeah, and deservedly so. And there's just very tiny moments in Lady Bird that I really, really admire Mm -hmm. um, that are kind of sprinkled throughout and a really, really uh, interesting and kind of funny glimpse into her college years at the end uh, mm-hmm. that I, f- that I found really kind of heartwarming and, you know, hitting hit a little close to home in, in a few ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just to, this movie had a little overboard, <laughs> you know, um, had all the feels. Yeah. And, and 
Greta Gerwig is just very it's very reassuring to have you know two of my five films that I'm mentioning here be um, brand new filmmakers yeah um, and a, a person of color and a woman as yep. well and just how uh, reassuring that feels um, mm-hmm. it it feels like Hollywood can't help but get it right every once in a while <laughs> and I mean yeah so <laughs> they, have, they have a lot of work to do but I think 2016 was a big eye opener 2017. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been used for the past year, but 2017 was the year of the women. Oh, sure. So I really hope, which is why it was so disheartening to see the Golden Globes with not a woman and not a person of color nominated for Best Director. Nope. <laughs> it was like, really? No. In I all know. of 2017. I know. So I really think that this year, the Academy, they have to take notice of that. Of they have course. to take stock of it and realize, okay, yes... The old white male stuffy crowd is still there. They will be there for at least another 20 years. Mm-hmm. What is changing? Yeah. What type of young filmmakers like Jordan Peele? I mean, is still quote unquote a younger filmmaker. Yeah. He is 40, I think. Yeah. That's like, a young filmmaker. So compared yeah, decades to of, look at of, Ridley Scott, who was like 900 years old. Yeah, exactly. Do so, we need to nominate him for this, for his movie? No, no we don't <laughs> No, He's just making movies forever. Pretty much. Yeah. So okay, so Ladybird um, would be my other honorable mention. So should we drum roll it to the to the we number one? Oh, ah, it's a very faint drum roll. Um, <laughs> but uh, my uh, my number one uh, for 2017 is uh, Sean Baker's The Florida Project, and mm-hmm. this is just a really really um, starkly original film that I yeah. just didn't kind of expect to see, um, and I it it. You know, for those who haven't seen it, it follows the story of Mooney, um, who's played by Brooklyn Prince, and mm-hmm. in what I believe is the uh, Seattle Film Critics Society best best youth, youth performance, performance of yep. 2017, and deserved you know every accolade. Yep. Um, and she she's wonderful in it, and she lives with her mom. Um, in uh, the Magic Castle, um, mm-hmm. which is a tiny little motel basically on the Magic Mile on the way to Disney World. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of these crummy um, weekly ho- hotels yeah, like <laughs> weekly yeah weekly rate hotels that um are painted like bright blue and you know pink and, and yellow and stuff and essentially it's just a slice of their life mm-hmm. um kind of uh showing us the dynamic of the families that live in this place yeah. um willem dafoe essentially plays the super um mm-hmm. and the manager of the magic castle um, and in who many, also won the Seattle Film Critics yes, Society Best, Best supporting, supporting Actor, actor yeah. which confused me only because I was like, Best Supporting Actor, like, it, okay. Like, I was just, I was kind of surprised because, I mean, there was not really a Best Actor in this role, like, in this in this film. Like, he was pretty much the only significant male yeah, that's person. true. Yeah, <laughs> but we, we've had that debate, and and uh, amongst the the folks in the in the society, mm-hmm. and I, I I would imagine he'll still show up as supporting actor. Um, I, I think so too. It just it was it was interesting because no, no, I I completely understand that, especially with um, the dynamics in the film. I mean, it really yep. is the movie through Mooney's eyes, mm-hmm. um, and trying to understand what's going on around her and her two to three friends that kind of filter in and out of her life. Right. And, and he's just always sort of there kind of hovering around as this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hopeful presence in a lot of ways, you know, yep. keeping an eye out for these kids, trying to do whatever he can to help the parents who 
or anything from, you know, really hardworking, um, you know, waiters and waitresses to, you know, bus drivers to right. um, then Mooney's mom, um, who is kind of a, a mess. grifter <laughs> and a mess and probably a drug addict mm-hmm. and maybe a prostitute. And there's and there's all this kind of stuff and you just don't really know because Mooney doesn't really know. Yeah. And uh, so you you start to catch glimpses of all of these things and the the full picture really crystallizes near the end of the film and it's really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, Baker is very empathetic to mm-hmm. these people um, and he truly seems to love um, the, the kind of setting because it is very beautiful in many ways. The cinematography um, of this film absolutely stunning it really is Um, like the his color palette his choice of shots absolutely one of my favorite like you were talking about one of your favorite shots of the year you know is tom hardy on the beach seeing the kids sit in front of the ice cream stand oh yeah you have this huge ice cream cone shaped building bright brilliant blue sky behind them two kids sitting there like that image will stick with me for a long time it was it was just gorgeous yes and i i just think um with what a year 2017 has been, the Florida Project is a perfect kind of distillation uh, of, of a lot of feelings that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have had. And to come out of the theater with like a sliver of hope for the, you know, crummy conditions that a lot of our uh, our people mm-hmm. um, in the United States live in um, and a little more empathy um, is a good thing. And yeah. that's why the Florida Florida project has stuck with me. And that's why I hope more people will see it. Cause again, that's a movie that got buried a l- early in the yeah. release slate. Which is, and this is a real weird. struggle with a lot, um, with the late season Oscar avalanche mm-hmm. is, uh, a lot of these better films get lost. So hopefully if we can, you know, do our part to give it a small boost, um, that would be, that would be wonderful. Cause I think people will really connect with it. Nice. I like it. All right, so those are your, your three... My goods. Goodest of the goods uh, for 2017. Uh, so on to mine. Woo-hoo. Uh, so my my loose <laughs> list. Uh, number My number one is my number one. Like, that one is, sure. is, is set. It's locked. Uh, so the first one I will talk about is a recent one that, again, I cannot get out of my head in the best way possible, and I want to watch it again all the time. So it is a movie that just recently came out, the Greatest Showman, starring wow. Hugh Jackman, wow. Zac Efron. All right. First of all, it is a musical, uh-huh. so immediately <laughs> it has me hooked. But unlike last year's musical, La La Land, which sucked, um, <laughs> it, just, and it gave me a little bit of the feels when it came to musical, but I was just so done with the movie by the time it, yeah. it ended. I just, yeah, I walked out of the theater just meh. The Greatest Showman, from beginning to end just kept punching me in the feels <laughs> uh, i listened to the soundtrack all the time yep. it just it blew me away uh and again this is a first time director doing a movie that when you look at just the production the value massive spectacle I mean, <laughs> it is it is crazy right. what he was able to do in this film and when you look at uh just recently hugh jackman on his instagram page mm-hmm. posted the audition that uh, Kiala Settle, who plays the bearded lady, yeah, he posted her audition. Chilling, <laughs> like it just she crushes 
her audition. She is crying, yeah. uh, singing This Is Me. Hugh Jackman is crying watching her. And you know that they've been sitting there for oh, yeah. hours. Yeah, of course. Going through auditions. But this movie was just, it was so special. And as somebody like me, who is a musical theater kid. Uh, Absolutely. I have sat through so many auditions and heard memories and heard Castle on a Cloud a bajillion times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting an original musical like this was amazing. I did talk about it in my review that some of the songs are a little bit repetitive and uh-huh. they are a little bit top 40. And I kind of wish they had done maybe a little bit more classic as far as time period style. Sure. You know, period appropriate music. Right. But other than that, like the music is incredible. Production design is incredible. I just, I absolutely loved this film. That's great. And why do you think the lukewarm critical reception overall? Because we have a lot of folks in this market mm-hmm. who loved it, who adored yeah. it. Um, and, and that's wonderful. I, I still haven't seen it. I, 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 I hate to say that, but why, why would you? Kind I of think that s- some of it is that. tainted and I had to kind of come to grips with this on my, with yeah. myself. P.T. Barnum was not a good person. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Uh, I mean, even from his earliest days with his first kind of show, he leased a black woman to show from the dark continent of Africa. And is it a person? Mm-hmm. Is it an animal? He is a terrible per- He was a terrible person. Mm-hmm. The circus was a terrible thing as an animal rights advocate. And it's gone. Uh, yeah. Well, Which almost. part, of, and that was the thing is, it was weird to me that we just saw the fall of P.T. Barnum and Bailey's circus. Yeah. And then this movie comes out kind of glorifying him. It felt a little bit weird. That, I had, that to had me on alert right, yeah. right away. You know? And so I had to kind of distance myself from that and separate the art from the artist. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think even if you take that part out of it, this is still an amazing musical. Yeah. And to me, that is what matters. Sure. Uh, if you switch out so it is not a bearded lady and you put in somebody else and just an underdog story, and you kept the music the same, you kept the production on the same, it would still work. Yeah. So, but yeah, Hugh Jackman, like, he owns the stage. Uh-huh. If he you were to, If you were to quit doing, quote-unquote, regular movies, yeah. and just do movie musicals, or even just travel with the company, do it. Like, that, that is where he came from. Yeah, So, might. I mean, it just, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That, that is great. that is the first movie that I want to talk about with my goodest of the good. All right. I love it. I have not been able to get it out of my head uh, <laughs> since I saw it. <clears throat> and you can go back and listen to uh, the episode of Feelin' Film podcast that I was on uh, with Aaron and Patch where I talked all about it. That's great. Um, so the next one on my list uh, is another somewhat recent one. And again, this is something that was we even talked about this in our in our group thread as the Seattle Film Critic Society. A few of our members were like, yes, we have been seeing a lot of good stuff recently. Please remember the stuff that came out earlier in the year. Yeah. Because <laughs> we just got deluged. Oh, yeah. With screeners and links this last two months. Literally hundreds. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was crazy. But so this one is another recent one. Uh, it is The Disaster Artist with awesome. James Franco. Franco. Uh, this is one that I was already 100% on board with when they first announced it. And I first saw James Franco doing his Tommy voice and not just doing yep. the voice, but taking that character because Tommy Wiseau is a character 
and just crushing it. Yeah. Like the disaster artist blew me away. I had really high expectations for it because I love the room. I've talked about it before. I, I know people who are in the room. Sure. Robin Paris is on my show. So to see the disaster artist, it was one of the best comedies of the year. <laughs> when you talk about screenplay and yeah. what they had to work with and James Franco staying in character. I mean, it was an incredible production. Well, let's talk a little bit about this because I think some of the best parts of the disaster artist are how they round out the world Mm -hmm. of Tommy kind of behind, behind the scenes. Like talk a little bit about kind of your favorite parts of that. What, what, what what did you like about, because in many ways um, it, it felt exactly like uh, a lot of those kind of Rogan Franco combination Mm -hmm. films where they bring a lot of their good friends in. They kind of round out the, the sides with a lot of people that we recognize, Um, Mm -hmm. but it really works here um, very, very well. Um, And I I just love to hear your perspective on, on what you thought of that. Cause you know, far more about the room and its production than I do. Um, (laughs) I think, I think that was fit the part in in, in your opinion. Okay. And that, that was again, something that, I was a little bit worried when you start seeing, you know, Paul Shear and, <laughs> right. you know, all these people, Seth Rogen. I was all, I was like, okay, are they going to overshadow the movie? Are they going to overshadow this production? Are they of... just going to be Seth Rogen with a director's hat on? Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. But they were not. Uh-huh. Like, they were in it enough to play their re- respective roles. But this was James Franco's show. Yeah. I mean, he directed it. He starred in it. I mean, he, it was, he was so integral in the process. Oh, and Dave sure. Franco, Dave Franco was a little bit of a weak link mm-hmm. only because he was going up against James Franco, giving the performance of his career. Right. That is going to be difficult no matter what yeah. the situation. Yeah, it is. But the behind the scenes things, they just nailed. The fact that Tommy was so, not was, still is a mystery. In 2017, People still do not really know where his money comes from, who he really is, where he comes from. He's vaguely said in a couple interviews that he is from Europe. So at least he he just said Europe. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, he he said New Orleans forever. So and right. we obviously knew he wasn't from there. So at least no. he's vaguely confirmed he's from a continent. <laughs> right. And even that, even Europe, it is like, okay, so is it like old oil tycoon money? Is it blood money? Yeah. Like where? Where did you get $6 million? And not just $6 million, That was just... For the movie. Right, right. Good point. Of course. Like, yeah. So, again, the production values were just great. The screenplay was incredible. That's awesome. James Franco, his passion. This was not just a passion project that we see a lot of people do. Oh, sure. They're like, yeah. I love this film, so I'm going to make my homage to it. And nothing really comes of it. He became Tommy Wiseau <laughs> in a way that nobody could ever do. Mm-hmm. So. I love it. That was incredible. Uh, my. Number one film of the year, my goodest of the good, uh, Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele. Hey. <laughs> so, again, this is a film that came out huh. in February. Good thing we didn't uh, talk about this beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, I'd, I'd been thinking about it this whole time. I've yep. watched it several times since then. I recommended it to so many people because of what it means. Yep. And not just from the the black perspective, not just from that, but just from the the entrepreneurial perspective from the independent filmmaker perspective. I mean, he did something that was, it was absolutely incredible in a way that nobody had done before. Yeah. So yeah, huge, huge 
respect to to Jordan Peele and everybody involved. Um, we talked a little bit about Caleb Landry Jones, who is just so creepy and he is. so weird. He's barely and, in it. And but barely it's just in so it. So creepy. Yeah. Um, and those that, those imagery, you know, yeah. the imagery that we were talking about, with iconic horror imagery, the shower scene in Psycho, you know, Jason has a bunch of them. Daniel Kilo is sitting in the chair. That steady shot of him just crying. Yep will go down in horror movie history. Oh, absolutely. Like that will be on the reels that they show like little clips of forever. Like it was just, it was tremendous. Yeah, it's a fact. And, and sinking into his chair into the sunken <sighs> place. Yeah. I mean, it, and the sunken place is just part of the zeitgeist at this point. I mean, it's mm-hmm. what it hasn't left since yeah. February <laughs> and it's still used in, you know, Ben Carson kind of is still stuck culture. in the sunken yeah. place. Of course. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly is. Along with the rest of the GOP, but yeah. Uh, Omarosa maybe is not in yeah. there anymore. We're not sure yet. Yeah. I think she is. I think oh she's yeah. Still probably. There. She's an agent of the sunken place <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was, yeah. Absolutely incredible. I forgot to give my honorable mentions before yes, my number one. Whatever. Uh, a couple quick <laughs> ones. So, Planet of the War for the Planet of the Apes. Yep. I mean, an absolutely tour de force of a movie coming out of that movie uh, from our press screening. I turned to one of the uh, studio reps and I was like, okay, so I'm going to go watch uh, Schindler's List to cheer up. Yeah, seriously. I mean, this movie is dense. Mm-hmm. And I say that even though there are oddly comedic moments in this that are really well done yeah but almost a little bit too much Mm -hmm. uh they really ride that line they do but this is fairly definitely to be honest yeah yeah um it's it's pretty hard to have kind of a purely comic character like they do Mm -hmm. in the film just show up halfway through um and sort of be the relief but he he is a character actually i i think is more more organic to the story than I think I initially thought uh, upon uh, multiple viewings of, of the film. And I, I, I actually ultimately think it does work, but um, yeah. it, it, the first time I saw it too, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to bring in a wacky sidekick, but um, he's not as wacky as you think. But, not as wacky. Yeah. Uh, and I will, one of the only awards that we handed out this year uh, that really bothered me was that Andy Serkis did not even get nominated for best actor, I nominated him. So did I, and I know a couple of other <laughs> yep. of other people did. But he, come on, like, what else does he have to do <laughs> to get that respect? So, yeah, War for the Planet of the Apes, absolutely. Uh, Logan, yeah, Logan was a tremendous film mm-hmm. that I have told people out and recommended to people, even sure. if they're they're like, oh, I don't really watch the X Men movies. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It really does do not. Do you know who Wolverine is? Yeah. Do you know who Wolverine is? And do Professor you like X. movies that are very <laughs> similar to old school westerns and everything? Just go. Mm-hmm. So that one. Uh, and then my last honorable mention, Step. What, you get three? No, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, your show, so. Step, the documentary yeah. about Baltimore high school girls yep. in a step competition. Absolutely love this film. Unfortunately, again, this one kind of got buried because there were so many documentaries that came out yep. after this one. Mm-hmm. And, it seems to and, happen every year, unfortunately. And it is a shame. Yeah. The good thing with Step, though, is that it got picked up for streaming real quick. Yep. So uh, if you are flying on like a domestic flight, yep. like it is on, I think, United. Amanda Lippitz, the director, <laughs> um, I was talking to her recently, uh-huh. 
And yeah, she put up a uh, picture of her flying somewhere and it was on the little TV. So see, that's awesome. This is very easily accessible. So it might not win awards. Actually, it is not going to because I already announced the documentary shortlist yep. for Oscars. But absolutely go see C-Step. It's just a joy. Um, yeah. And uh, sometimes we need that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And we definitely need it this year. Uh, and it's it's just a beautiful film. And it's streaming in more places, I think, than than we could probably name at this yeah. point. So it's pretty easy to see. Yep. Um, I mean, it, like I said, it fortunately got picked up yep. really quickly. What was funny is I was talking to them because I was like, oh, you know, maybe you can send me a, a DVD, you know, so I can do a giveaway. <laughs> and this was months ago. And they yep. were like... We actually cannot right now because we are working on something. And then I think it was a couple of weeks later, they announced that they were dropping on Hulu and Amazon Prime yep. and just like everything. So I was like, all right. Good. 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 I mean, good yeah. for them. <laughs> so cool. All right. So that was round one. That was our goodest of the, the good. goodies. Uh, now. Uh, the baddies. <laughs> to, to, the, to, the, to the baddest of of the bad. Uh, so again, you can go ahead with uh, with your first three. Now, again, these are ones that we either... We're excited about that disappointed us that maybe just did not live up to the hype. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these these are films that actually, in many ways, um, I was looking forward to um, mm-hmm. and was excited to see and to review and um, to see how they potentially fit into larger universes. I'm totally <laughs> right? tipping my hand here, but um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> let me just dive into my three, and, yes. and we can uh, we can eviscerate them. Um, well. <laughs> Or just talk about how sad we are that they're not better. Yep, fair enough. Uh, so my first one is uh, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Which <laughs> uh-huh. just sounds stupid to say now, too. It really does. It's so it's... stupid. But, I mean, the part of the Kingsman franchise now, because it's two films, I guess, mm-hmm. is, uh, is that it is, you know, a very kind of Red Bull-induced satire of the James oh, yeah. Bond franchises. It's like the opposite of Austin Powers in that way. Um, yeah. They, where Austin Powers is much slower and more deliberately silly, the, these movies are not. This they're, is the X Games. They're hyper-violent, yeah. like, <clears throat> kind of ugly. Mm-hmm. The first one was really mean. This one is dramatically meaner. Um, and it, it's an yeah. angry film, and it's misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super sexist. It's racist. I mean, it... it the first one skirted the line, in my opinion, fairly well. Um, right. It had its moments that make you roll your eyes. But um, overall, I thought it had some fun humor, some really good action sequences. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, there's a sequence in a white supremacy church that's oh, um, phenomenal. pretty iconic at this point in terms of yep. just pure action, action sequences um, in uh, American films. And, and this one... Uh, tries to replicate and kind of go bigger, of course. Yeah. Um, I hate the impulse to go bigger. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you found something that works. People loved it. Do that thing yeah, again. <laughs> you can't, you, you, not every filmmaker can go from the raid to the raid two um, yeah. in, in terms of expanding the scope and go yeah. bigger, so to speak. And even like Kill Bill, Kill Bill one, great action scenes. Oh, yeah. Kill Bill two, equally as good. Some, I mean, some of the, the big set pieces are not, you know, of course, you know, her against the crazy 88. I would argue they're both. They're of a of a piece, though, like of yeah. a larger whole. Yeah, true. I just think Matthew Vaughn might actually be a hack. Um, and mm, I just I'm, take I, I just think he, <laughs> I think he might be. I mean, this movie is really mean mm-hmm. um, and ugly and unnecessarily it, offensive. Yeah, it's and you, you know, they almost look at the camera and wink at these really bad oh, jokes. Yeah. And there was a really bad joke at the end of the first one, a really like gratuitous sex joke at the mm-hmm. end of it that like made everybody raise their eyebrows. And 
and they totally doubled down on stuff like oh, that yeah. in this one. And it just I was excited because the first one had a ton of energy and was mm-hmm. and was fun and I was like, maybe this will be a fun, passable, you know, couple hours and I just kinda hated it by the end. Um yeah. so it could have gone in the ugly, but there was enough ugly that I put it in the bad because I was, uh, you know, mildly, you know, uh, looking forward to it. Okay. Um, yeah. So diving into the second one, the second one's just kind of an interesting um, kind of take on folks who read my website, I suppose, but uh, or know my mom. Um, okay. So uh, it's a film called The Glass Castle that came out in kind of early August. Um, okay. It stars, I vaguely remember uh, that. Brie Larson, um, Woody Harrelson. Okay. Uh, Naomi Watts. Um, it's directed by Destin Daniel uh, Cretton, um, who did Short Term 12, which is essentially hmm. was Brie Larson. I mean, to say Brie Larson broke out is well. uh, probably um, the understatement of the century, but mm-hmm. um, it's an incredible film. Um, if folks haven't seen Short Term 12, seek it out. It's pretty easy to find at this point. Yeah. Um, and um, got some awards buzz uh, that year on the kind of early awards circuit before the big the big bads showed up uh, and, and then did not give it any. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's an amazing film, so people were excited to see what he was going to do next. So he got the rights to this um, this book, um, uh, The Glass Castle, and it's essentially about this family of nomads. Um, in many ways, it's a true story. Um, really. And, it it just sounds really interesting. the The father and uh, uh, w- played by Woody Harrelson and 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 his wife played by Naomi Naomi Watts. They they kind of work odd jobs. They they get into podunky homes. He uh, you know basically says we're going to build this home up and we're going to build a glass castle over here for you guys to yeah. be, all the kids to be in. And okay, um, Brie Larson is the middle kid um, of three or four. Um, or five, I can't, there's a lot of kids. Um, okay. it, the, the movie is very maudlin, and that's the worst part, because it flashes between her in kind of high society in New York. She eventually escaped this life, and she's marrying this kind of highfalutin hmm. kid played by um, Max, uh, keep me honest here, Max Greenfield um, okay. from New Girl, um, okay. who plays Schmidt on New Girl. And he's way out of his league here <laughs> and i really like him but i was just like whoa that's some not like, ready for that stunt casting yeah gotcha um so it flashes between her upbringing and how insane it is and often they would just sleep in the desert you know as they were driving okay. through, and they would then sleep in some crummy rundown home until they were somebody found out they were there mm-hmm. and then they'd have to leave and go somewhere else and the movie's just too clean um for that um, it never really um it never really gets dirty uh, where it should feel dirtier. Um, Almost like with Florida project, when it, it gets dirty, yes, like it's, it's you, dark, it is visceral. Yeah. Like you feel that you have that reaction where you're like, this movie is so <laughs> clean. And so, um, and like I said, maudlin, it really starts to hammer on, um, interesting on the relationship between Brie Larson's character, um, who was the author of the book and, uh, her father, and hmm. so when she's living in New York in the f- kind of present day, it's kind of the eighties, um, her parents are homeless people in New York. So they've kind of followed her there and they just live on the street and they essentially Weird. live in an abandoned, um, uh, apartment building. Okay. And the kids go there, 
um, and see them and they, you know, tell them stories. And the dad is a, you know, ruthless drunk and uh, Harrelson and Larson's performances are good, but they're, mm-hmm. they're not of a part of this film. Like if they feel like they're acting in a much grittier harder film to be in Weird. even watts as well and i never and understood all that party people and it, it just never comes together and why i say like i'm uh why i'm disappointed in this film is well there's a lot of talent um here yeah, it sounds like it. i posted my review and i just got uh berated by my mother's uh kind of book club <laughs> fans uh or friends i should say and those are some vicious ladies yeah and i was like good gracious because they <laughs> right. were like we love this movie it's the best movie that you have to read the book and i'm like well okay mm-hmm. i mean i the movie at the end kind of tries to tie the book in and it, it's just not a very good movie <laughs> and mm-hmm. that, that was a really uh a, a disappointing um a disappointing one because i'm rooting for brie larson she'll be fine i'm not too worried about her career here she is um, doing just fine yeah but uh uh and she put she gives another great performance here and and it's just there's a lot of talent on display gotcha and i think cretin will be fine too the director um no hollywood jail for him no he he, you know he directs the film beautifully it's just um it's a little bit of a mess it's just too beautiful and it's just kind of a, a whiff so okay so my third one um, is one that, you know, very well may show up on your list or, you know, people will nod and say yes. And mm-hmm. that is uh, Alien Covenant. Um, <laughs> and <sighs> the, it didn't quite rise to the level of ugly for me. Um, there's yeah. there's enough redeemable about Alien Covenant. And I actually think one of the most redeemable things is that if they had somehow figured out a way to tell the Covenant and Prometheus stories as, as, a, as one piece, mm-hmm. it might have been better you oh you mean just... not to have a sequel to a prequel that was supposed to answer questions that all it did was ask more questions and never lead us to yes what, but these then, movies make no sense but then covenant <laughs> sort of answers them but then not, not really really yeah like, uh, and you know it's just these movies stink i mean seriously they really do like the the human actors are are pawns to bring yep. aliens into the story um or xenomorphs to mm-hmm. to attack them and they act so stupidly and i i'm okay for you know horror movie people splitting up when they shouldn't in a right. in, a, in a dark house but these this is our fifth alien movie sixth um S- well if if you're counting the alien versus predator movies no i'm not counting those. okay <laughs> um but i think yeah we got up through alien three and then alien versus alien four alien was resurrection four, yeah. and, and then, then these we, two and then these two okay so we're at six um six in this series mm-hmm it, it's just really bad. Um, yeah. It it um, does away with a lot of the good practical effects that makes the xenomorph scary and Absolutely. big, um, and makes them really rubbery and kind of bouncy. It mm-hmm. kind of makes them like uh, cockroaches. Yeah, where uh, they can jump around everywhere and they're they can hang onto the sides of spaceships and as it is. Lift- I mean, that, yeah. I mean, we that, talked about horror iconography. Yeah, the xenomorph in the ship and alien. You see it coming from the shadow. You see the light hitting it off its head, like a, an image that will live on forever. The mouth coming out of the other mouth. Yep. Iconic. These movies have none of that. No. Like and- they, they, they bring in new things in a way that is just uninspired, that does not make any sense. Tim and I go back and forth in it. And yes, in a horror movie, you need stupid people to do stupid things. Yes. Okay. Sure. When you go to a planet that you know you should not be on, no masks, no, no suits. Oh, no. Nothing. And they find, <laughs> they find like ancient ruins and mm-hmm. stuff and then go into them and then mm-hmm. one by one walk away. 
Yeah. It, it's it's not like let's split up. It's they are all sitting in one room, and then someone's like, "I have to go take a leak. I have to go over here." <laughs> and it's just one by, and then they all die. One yeah, by one, one one by one. When or get infected. If and you see a giant egg thing, and this, I mean, it was cool. They kind of brought that in, you know, I- iconic. If I see something split open into four parts, and I see a creepy dude being like, "Just just look in there. Just a little bit closer." Yeah. Look. <laughs> No. No, no thanks. Like what? I'll use one of my robots things to look at. Right. It. Yeah. I, I, uh, it it's very silly and it's just it it was a massive disappointment which is yeah. why it's in the bad because mm-hmm. every time you see a trailer for one of these Scots still got the magic eye. I mean, yeah. his his eye for scale is still incredible. Um and Prometheus and and Covenant both have shots like that in them. Yep. But you can only get Fastbender to, you know, have completely bananas scenes with his with himself with himself so much before you have yeah. to have some other characters and those scenes are funny by the way but they are hilarious um, but uh but they're not meant to be hilarious yeah well they might be actually i can't i, I couldn't really tell yeah. um but uh you can only have those so much before you actually have to have human characters drive yep. the story forward and they just can't so those are my three bads um before uh, we kick it over to you and then get to the uglies, I suppose. All right. <laughs> so my three baddest of the bad films that either disappointed me or that they had a chance. Yeah. And just failed. Yeah. Uh, and these are in no particular order. Uh, first one that came to mind, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Ghost I can't believe the- this made it to bad. Ghost in the Shell, mainly because as a huge anime fan, like oh, sure. that was part of that second wave of anime that came in that I was exposed to. So actually more like first wave. Cause it was like Akira ghost in the shell. That was kind of first wave, second wave. That was more Ninja scroll vampire mm-hmm. hunter D. I was hyped that they're going to do a ghost in the shell. Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have said it before. I know that other people, Certain people who listen to this podcast are huge Scarlett Johansson fans, Damien. Mm-hmm. Scarjo heads. Uh, she sucks. <laughs> um, I just, I'm not a fan. Yeah. And so not only do they whitewash the character, uh, Admiral Kusanagi, mm-hmm. but then they double down on it in that, no, no, it is not, it is not just a white lady. Yeah. She is actually Japanese because it is in her brain. <laughs> yeah. Like what? <laughs> I mean, it was just offensive. Yep. But the reason that it was bad and not ugly, the visual style and the visual representation from the anime to this was pretty true to life. I mean, there were scenes oh, fair enough. that were copy and paste sure. from the anime. Yeah. It was still not enough. Yeah. It still just failed. Uh, the scene where she is on the spider tank and she is ripping off the top, like that, that was a great moment and a great scene, but it just, it did not do enough. It did not build up enough yeah. for it to matter. Uh-huh. Yep. So, I, I mean, I feel very similarly about that film. <laughs> yeah. So, and it had a chance, but man. Not about ScarJo, but about the film. Right. We don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, and again, Ghost in the Shell was never going to be a huge money maker thing. It was an anime adaptation. It was going to make money, of course, but this is not going to be like a tentpole franchise film. No, not at all. So why not? And I hate using this term because Hollywood still thinks it is real, but why not quote unquote, take a risk 
and put an Asian actress in that role. I, I'm completely with you. It's baffling. It, it's it just baffling. it made no sense, especially when they doubled down and revealed that. Take a risk, Ugh, brother. Yeah, I, I hate that. <laughs> so but yeah, Ghost in the Shell. You take a risk by making this a, a live action film. Absolutely. So go the full way and make it the way it should be made. Yeah. It's and so absurd. There were a lot of people, and I battled a lot of them, being like, well, when you look at Kusanagi in the anime, she has very Western features. Yes. That is a an issue that is with anime in general. Yeah. I could go into the reasons for that and the sociological implications, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just disappointing. My next one. That, again could very well have been part of a franchise that uh-huh. after this it is not going anywhere the dark tower oh I, yeah gosh another good one i had i mean a, a good bad one yeah like i had <laughs> hopes for this because i was like okay yeah. this is a major book series they could go a lot of places they could do some cool things great actors involved. great actors and they're like wait you were starting with book six wait what why are you doing this like the i mean it made no chronological no. sense <laughs> None at all. especially if you're going to build a franchise <laughs> why start that deep into the book series yep. and not only that deep into the book series but draw from books one two eight three like if this is uh, <laughs> it was again it was just so disappointing it, it's so boring too yeah for a movie that's like 80 minutes long Mm-hmm. Like what the it was, heck is it was, happening in this movie? It was a short film. I remember yeah. at that screening, all of us came out and we were talking to the the studio reps, and all of us kind of looked at our phones for the time. We were like, "Wait, that was it? Like that? What? It's like <laughs> barely eight thirty. I guess like, I can go have dinner." <laughs> yeah, it was it was short, but it just dragged. <laughs> yeah, and and this had the potential because they talked about this was going to be the launching point for a TV show, and they were going to do this. Nope. No way. This is dead. Uh, this is this is not going uh-huh. anywhere. Uh, and then my last one for bad. And th- this one hurt the most, I think. Uh, Justice League. <laughs> oh, you put it in the bad. I put it in the bad because it was just I had I had a, I thought after Wonder Woman that they learned some lessons. Mm-hmm. And they did because they reshot a lot of this. Yeah. Too bad they learned them while making it. Exactly. That And that is part of the problem. It was like, yeah. DC still does not have that Kevin Feige person like they do in Marvel where yep. he was like, here's our phase 10 films. Yep. Like nobody, DC is like, oh wait, this worked? Okay, we'll throw in some of that. Yep. And wait, what is about this? And this character worked? There's I mean, no roadmap. Just, no. Yeah. And it was just a mess of a as film. Lame and corporate as that sounds, there is, they need yeah. one. If they if they want to succeed in, in this land, superhero landscape, they have to. Well, especially with any comic book writer worth their salt. Yeah. Talk to your coworkers. <laughs> yeah. Talk to your boss. Uh-huh. Figure out where the storyline is going. And if you are doing a contained storyline, a 12-issue maxi series, okay, is it going to play into the other ones? And if so, you will work that out. When they relaunch with New 52 and all of these things, like there were 30 connected books. So they can do it mm-hmm. in the comics oh, sure. for whatever reason. On the on the cinematic side, nobody is stepping up to the plate no. and being like Cool, put it on me. Kevin Feige put himself in that position, and mm-hmm. he was like, L- I'm living or dying sure. by this roadmap. Yep. Oh, and look where they are. A billion-dollar franchise. <laughs> so Justice League was just so disappointing. I have a glimmer of faith 
moving forward because because I feel Mm -hmm. like they kind of get it now. And I think now that Zack Snyder is no longer going to be involved. Right. They can go some different directions. But man, like I was I left that movie sad because it was just. Yeah, it just it hurt the most. So that that was my my baddest of the bad. Yeah, I love it. Uh, So fun. I, yeah, I did not write down any honorable mentions for bad because that would just be ridiculous. No, it would. Yeah, it would be. So there's no honor in this. No. <laughs> in these sections. So rolling right along into the ugliest of the ugly films of 2017, right. Mr. Dinsmore, what you got? All right, let's do this. I I have three. I, okay. I wrote the Transformers one down here, but I'm not going to talk about it. Whatever. It just doesn't feel like <laughs> on their what at fifth entry we we need to touch on. Um, on Michael Bay and what that's become. But yep. uh, I'm going to start with uh, Valerian, City of a Thousand oh, Planets. Man. Um, I still have the comic book around here somewhere. It's yeah. Valerian's in, in so bad that uh, How Did This Get Made, the, the wonderful mm-hmm. podcast about bad movies, yep. has already done one about Valerian. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> they like did the it la- quick. Oh, yeah. Like the last <laughs> month, this movie barely just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Luc Besson, um, who yep. I feel like the entire film community roots for. Like, yeah. this guy's got to have something left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then he puts out Lucy, and um, and then he puts out this. Again, and, Scarlett Johansson sucks. Yeah, oh, come uh, on. I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's not her fault. She's like high-fiving Lucy mm. the gorilla at the end. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, this movie is impossible to explain, other than to say it is a, <laughs> like, two-hour-plus independently produced sci-fi epic Mm -hmm. that has weirdly like one of the best prologues I can ever remember in a sci-fi film, like really well done. Tons of great um, visual effects, like (laughs) a really interesting narrator. Like Mm -hmm. you can tell it's going to be kind of fun and, and, um, and kind of silly and popcorny and they're going to go in a very certain kind of visual direction. That's very beautiful. And by the way, the visual direction doesn't really stagnate it actually is pretty beautiful it, for it the is entire stunning. film yeah um there Absolutely are a lot stunning. of really interesting alien planets there's all these kind mm-hmm. of interesting characters that they create and yeah. and kind of races of aliens that they create and everything um the human race in the movie Ooh. however are <laughs> are horrific two I mean, just cardboard actors yeah it, it's so bad and and rihanna shows up at one point and mm-hmm. gives one of the most in unintentionally hilarious death monologues of all oh, time. It's it is, so bad. It is awful. After she like morphs into like a blue mushy pod or what, yeah. something. Like it's so it's so funny. Um this movie actually should see it because it's one of those movies that does venture into the so bad it's good. Yeah. Um but it is so long that it actually kind of dilutes a lot of the so bad it's good pieces of it. Here's a hot tip. Um anybody who wants to watch this movie. If there are human characters on the screen, fast forward. Oh, yeah. You you honestly can. I mean, it, realistically, they're the weakest parts, mainly because Cara, Cara Delevingne and uh, what is dude's name? I don't know that. Uh, super. AKA <laughs> 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 droopy eyed weirdo. <laughs> uh, he was in the Asylum type movie. Um, I didn't write down. Uh, Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. DeHaan. I didn't write down any of their names. There are some of our local film critics who are Dane DeHaan fans. He Uh, is... We are not two of them. No. He is hot garbage. And the two of them together are just so bad. Oh, yeah. It's Clive Owen and Ethan Hawke show up in this movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I forgot about that. Yeah. And Herbie Hancock. 
Now, Herbie, that one at least kind of made somewhat like some sense. Some sense, I guess. Uh, but this... this Rutger is, Hauer shows up in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just reading the IMDb With, uh, cast list. This is what we were talking about before, where James Franco did a passion project for the disaster artist. Yeah. Honored the source material, made it his own, created something Basson truly did that with this comic like, as well. This, he, this was his passion project. Yeah. Uh, in the comic book that I have right over there, he talks about how he grew up reading yep. these tales and so i mean he has wanted to make this film forever he incorporated yep. some of the when you look at some of the old comics you can see things that he used from there in fifth element yeah because he has wanted to make this movie for so long and he finally got the chance and man did it just fail miserably oh god uh, but the visual like i voted for this in best production design uh for the seattle film critics society awards because i was like look at the practical effects they are phenomenal. Oh, they are. The whole montage of them meeting the aliens and it skipping through time. Yep. Tremendous. And then just the two main characters are awful. Well, there's that really interesting kind of scene where he he's in the desert, but he's yep. using these glasses to yep. see all the... And he's going in and out. It's really interesting like, um, the, stuff. The visual yeah. styling of this movie, yeah. I said it on, on the episode that I reviewed it. One of the most visually stunning films I saw all year. Yeah. Like absolutely amazing. Like that VR slash AR space that he went into. It, it was phenomenal. It was. It just, and it, it's just, <laughs> it's baffling. It's terrible. It's, it's called the city of a thousand planets, which still makes me laugh uh, every yeah. every time. And I know that has to do with the comics, but it still, it does. It, it, still, yeah. it still makes me laugh. Okay. Um, okay. My, <laughs> my number two, uh, ugliest of the mm-hmm. ugly um is george clooney's suburbicon yes um, thank you yeah a truly awful <sighs> awful film uh and really kind of uh putting a bow on matt damon's horrible 2017 man um, three but, uh, movie four movies yeah suburbicon is supposed to be and it was originally written by the coen brothers way back in, in the, day. the 80s yeah um and clooney and his writing partner kind of punched it up for now um and well punched it up maybe punched it down yeah maybe just punched it i don't know um, <laughs> just punched it but uh it's supposed to be like a kind of skewering of the creation of suburban life and and sort of the the, yeah. the 50s creation of suburban life that is what the original was supposed to be mm-hmm. um you can see the veneer of the original kind of around yeah. it a yeah. little bit and there was going to be some sort of mob tie-in, and it's gonna. It was going to, <laughs> it was going to disrupt this suburban life, and mm-hmm. you know, you could see the sort of makings of the Coen Brothers version of this movie. Clooney decided to add a really, really ham-fisted um, critique on race relations and <laughs> the police, criti- oh, like not yeah. even critique, just the view of it. Yeah. Um, there is a there's one black family in all of Suburbicon that mm-hmm. lives that moves in and they're just sort of there. We never really learn who they are nope. or anything. And then people start berating them and mm-hmm. then the police get involved and they you know, the house gets uh, the police quote unquote get involved, well, aka do no, nothing. No, they just stand there. Um and it's very on the nose and it's yeah. really it's like aggressively uh it's aggressively uh, liberal to the point of making any actual liberal person roll their eyes. Like, yeah. this is not what we think. It, like, to the point is, where it's so bad. I was just, I was offended. Yeah. Watching this movie because I was it's like, awful. This is what you were like. Again, even if with the best intentions, you know, showing that 
this black family next door has done nothing wrong. They're, you know, upright citizens, and yet they're getting bricks in their houses and horrible things. And a murder, murderers have gone on next door. And Literally nobody seems across, to, yeah. across the backyard. And nobody seems to care. I can, I get it. Because he's white. But man, like it was just, oh, it's oh, so bad. So terrible. It's not funny. It's not insightful. Um, it drags on and on. Uh, the mm-hmm. performances are weak. Um, All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, it's a baffling production. Um, mm-hmm. You can see where it could have been something. Um if yeah. if the Coens had taken it, I mean, but if you had he, taken he's out, he's doing like a really lame Cohen impression. Yeah, like he really is. absolutely <laughs> like a really lame one. Like just <laughs> take out the black family or keep them in there, develop them into something. But they were like it was just hundred percent unnecessary. It did nothing except quote unquote uh, reveal the ugly truth of society. No, shut up! Like it was just dumb. If they had gone like the mob route. Because all of that stuff was somewhat yeah. interesting because he gets in too deep and then has to do this and this and this. It's serious. It, it felt like um, Clooney looked at this and was like, this could be my, a serious man, you oh. know? Um, yeah. But it had none of the nuance or anything of that film at mm-hmm. all. Um, obviously dealing with different things, but still, uh, you know, a very similar aesthetic in that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that movie sucked. Um, and uh, my third uh, ugliest is Justice League. Oh, which, come on. Which I've talked about enough on this podcast yes. and, and tortured enough um, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Please stop. He's already dead. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, it's just a really terrible movie. Um, and it was skewered in the editing room. And mm-hmm. I understand they tried to save it. I yeah. I don't know if I want to see the Zack Snyder version. Um, it, but I okay. kind of do just to see like... Is it that much worse than the garbage that they ended up releasing? It, it cannot be. It the fact be. that... Okay, so the reshoots with the terrible CGI mustache, <sighs> that is one thing. Sure. Why open the film with that? Yeah. Because we knew about that going into this movie, <laughs> yeah. so all of us were already exactly. like... We were on a red alert waiting for it. Waiting for it. And it the is first bad. five seconds, very bad. we see it, and we we're like, why? Like, what was the point of that scene other than to show that Superman is the hero that everybody wants and deserves and needs but it was like okay that was your opening scene you yeah. showed us just how terrible it was. like and i think the worst part about it is we talked to we just talked kind of glowingly about how bad valerian is mm-hmm. um but how kind of assured the direction is for yeah. even though even though Absolutely. it's bad and it's largely screenplay um and True. casting um <laughs> yeah and costumes for the most part but uh overall it's a really kind of lavish production yeah um, he knew what he was doing just from beginning middle and so end. muddled in that yeah. way um there's nothing lavish about it um yeah. the colors are muted and kind of ugly and messy and they smoosh together and that's and been yet- snyder's <laughs> aesthetic a lot i get it yeah. but when you see what patty jenkins did with wonder woman as a singular yep. character none of that aesthetic shows up until the last 25 minutes yeah. when she's fighting the um god of war but mm-hmm. um before that it's it's very color rich and very dense um and there's a lot happening in the frame i feel like justice league is a lot of people standing in front of green screens making really poor wisecracks and it just didn't work for me and i really despise it (laughs) well and the color palette you know that you mentioned you can see in the middle of a fight scene when superman's suit goes from really dark to then you can see when joss whedon takes and just cranks it to 11 you have these bright blues and bright reds yep in the middle of the same 
fight sequence that obviously was chopped and screwed oh, yeah. a million times over. Yeah. But at one point when Superman is flying down to fight Steppenwolf after dropping off a building with refugees <laughs> that we never see. I forgot about Steppenwolf. <laughs> right. And as he is like flying, so flying down, he's like, you guys are still dealing with him. And you're in the middle of a battle. Like, first of all, nobody can hear you. Like, what? Are... Superman <laughs> is not the wise cracking person. Like, it was just. Oh, uh, Steppenwolf. Yeah. It, <laughs> he it was... was such a bad villain, too. Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah. I can usually excuse bad villains because there hasn't been any good ones in any of these um, superhero movies for quite a while. But Steppenwolf was almost egregiously so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when, again, they had the chance. Yeah. For him to even mention what could happen when dark side comes yeah and for all the like they could do that and they did none of it none of it no <laughs> which is why like i do not believe we're going to get a justice league 2 movie no we won't it just they, they were talking about it this is going to be part one blah blah this is going to introduce dark side fingers just, crossed for just like wonder woman aquaman team up movie and that's it go for it yeah just do that yeah unless I, matt <sighs> reeves can revive batman which he very well may <laughs> uh, well uh, yeah he he could but we, we will see what happens. After Apes, he pretty much is going to get free reign to do it oh, yeah, once. Yeah. So uh, we don't need to relitigate Justice okay. League. It sucks and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So so my three, <laughs> ugliest of the ugly for 2017. Uh, in no particular order except for number one. Uh, the first one I will talk about is The Mummy. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was on my short list. Ooh. And this was another one where. Not even a good airplane movie. No. This is just a terrible no, film. Sleepy movie overall. And I was so excited for the mummy. Yeah. I am a huge mummy fan. Yep. Going back to like the Universal Studios monsters, like I love those films. I was the perfect age when the Brendan Fraser ones came out. I saw them in the theater. They were hilarious. It was fun. Armand Vosloo was yeah, great. I like those movies. Well, uh, Rachel Rachel Vice. Yeah. You know, it was incredible. Smoke show. Uh she she's yeah, she was adorable. Um <laughs> So I, I was ready yeah. for this one. And it was Tom Cruise, so you knew the oh, action yeah. was going to be on point. It was. Then the movie happened, and oh my gosh. <laughs> they did some interesting it's things so with the mummy as far as yeah. like kind of reviving some of the soldiers. Yeah, and, that's true. And how she kind of came back. But essentially, and normally I talk into spoilers in, on this show, but this movie came out a while ago, and it is hot garbage. So essentially, he defeats her by making out with her. Yeah, that was the plan. That's very Cruzian, by the way. Right. Like, of course, that was probably in his contract. Oh, I gotta kiss somebody in this movie. Hundred percent. It was just like <laughs> he's also like twenty five years his love interest senior <laughs> in the movie as well. It's just so gross. The movie yeah. stinks too. It's just so it again a movie with such a muted color palette. Yeah. It's so for gray. something like yeah. that might work. Go back and watch those Brendan Fraser oh, ones. Yeah. Love him or hate him. They're those bright, were bright, fun, beautiful, yeah. like fun family type Bouncy. movies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This is just a slog. Ugh. And the fact that she goes through London, demolishes, takes all of the sand from oh, all yeah. of the or takes all of the glass, turns it into sand, and we never touch on London again. Like mm -hmm. um London was just demolished. By a demonic mummy creature. Yeah. And oh, we the, forgot Russell Crowe, too. Uh, so the Dark Universe also. <laughs> and I, done. I talked about this before night, even the mummy. Yeah. yeah, before the mummy came out, like, slow your roll. Yeah. <laughs> like, Stop announcing universes, you morons. Right. They just see Marvel doing it. And they're like, Marvel, we can do that. Marvel didn't announce a universe. No. Marvel took, I think it was in, not until, 
oof, maybe Captain America that they were like, yeah. okay, this is our plan for the next few movies. Yeah, this is working. We can move towards an Avengers yeah. movie. But when they roll out Entertainment <laughs> Weekly with the next four movies, this dark universe, without the first one hitting the theater. It's making me so mad. Yeah, that was just, and again, <laughs> I was I was on board oh, yeah. for this, but it was just a trash It is. Movie. Trash heap. So, yeah. so terrible. Uh, next so one. Razzie worthy. Uh, yeah. Next one, The Snowman. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> a movie I still haven't seen, but I will say before you go into this, the most fun I've had in a theater this year mm-hmm. was sitting before a screening uh, for the press and about 10 of us were sitting in there and I think most of you had seen The Snowman and uh-huh. you guys just told me all, all about The Snowman and yep. I laughed until there were tears in my eyes. It yep. just made me laugh. <laughs> and and I, I think it was Sarah, one of our colleagues, even said, this is more fun than watching the snowman. It is just sitting here. That 20 minute conversation. (laughs) Just giggling so hard. This movie. And again, (laughs) I have to see it now, by the way, this is one of the ones where there are a lot of production issues, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there, the production got cut short. Okay. Tons of great actors and talent involved. And you still made this. Mm -hmm. And when he was doing the press tour, for this the direct and this is again before the movie hit theaters and he was like yeah once we got to the editing bay we realized that we missed about three quarters of the shots it was like how, how do you notice that in the editing bay like good point actually I, I, like <laughs> and again you went to film school you have been a part of film production i mean usually you, you try to block a scene out and, uh-huh. you know, become before that comes a storyboard you have a script supervisor you have someone who's looking at continuity you mm-hmm. have a, you have a script for one yeah you know, that's a, usually a good place to start like even with i'd you, say you have about 12 checks before <laughs> before you are to the editing before bay. you wrap probably and then, 30 and it just that was crazy you take something like lord of the rings <laughs> which filmed on two different oh, yeah. continents at the same time Peter Jackson was getting the dailies satellite yep. over satellite internet to him for him to check how like this shot in one place <laughs> what is happening and it just man and again talk about a book series that is world renowned and bestseller lists exactly. all over yep. your mom's book club maybe I loved know. it Very they well. started with book like four or five and it was like Okay, so none of us know, none of the American audience, for the most part, yeah. knows who this character is, Harry Hole. <laughs> which just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. I uh, mean, none of us know who Apparently not how you pronounce it oh, in of whatever course not. Nordic country he's of from. Of course not. But, but that's how on. they pronounced it in the movie, right? Exactly. And this movie <laughs> takes... Uh, Mr. Hole. This movie takes place in Norway. Oh, it's and incredible. And yet, only a couple people are speaking Norwegian and other dialects, but it is like... Look at what Let the Right One In did. Yeah. We can take it. Put subtitles in there. You have a Norwegian cast other than Michael Fassbender and a very, very unfortunate Val Kilmer, which just made me sad. Yeah. Other than that, (laughs) these are Norwegian actors filmed in Norway and J.K. Simmons with a Norwegian director. Like, (sighs) if you really thought this was going to be a breakout smash hit based on a book series, film it in the language of the books. It seems like they did think that. But they, they I, did I, not I, do I it. Like, well, I mean, the the director, uh, Tomas Alfredson, mm-hmm. he did Tinker Tailor Soldier yep. Spy, Let the Right One In, yep. um, a bunch of shorts, um, a bunch of TV series. Uh, the, the man has a track record of some really interesting work. Yeah. Like, and I mean, basing it off of Let the Right One In, like, oh, of course. that was a huge success. 
in a foreign language. And guess what? Everybody was fine with it. Granted, yes, they made a remake of it in English. So do Matt this. Reeves, though. What was that? Matt Reeves. Oh, he did direct yeah. that. I forgot about that. Um, so do this one in Norwegian or whatever dialogue dialect, you yep. know, you want. Yeah, of course. And if it takes off, then you get Michael Fassbender to do an American version, like yep. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo mm-hmm. and so many other Scandinavian properties. That we it's have like, many examples. <laughs> I mean, it was just baffling. Yep. And the snowman itself made no sense. Like, I gave you all the clues. There were no clues. <laughs> Nobody solved any mysteries. Like Building snowmen over dead people. Uh, and only one snowman has a dead person's thing. The other <laughs> one is just, uh, makes no sense. Oh, I love it. But again, I have un- to see this. Un- exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, people have to see this one just to see how terrible it is. And I think, again, watch this on Netflix in a few months. Yeah. Or download oh, it. Oh, I will. And you will be la- This is a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. Perfect. They revive uh, oh that. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, we can yeah. just combine the two. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then my third, <sighs> Ugliest of the Ugly, yes. which not only vaulted to the top of my list uh, for the worst film of 2017, one of the worst films I have seen this decade. Oh, wow. Transformers okay. 5. <laughs> Great, I just let you have that one, yeah. I mean, this this movie, it was offensively bad to the point where Tim and I, who are sitting next to each other (laughs) in the theater, we were like, we felt assaulted. Like, we felt like they were purposely being like, hey, what is something else terrible that we can do in this movie that we know people are going to sit through and they would do it? (laughs) Like, there were so many points in this movie where I looked at Tim. I love it. And the whole critics row. Because normally we also use in the front row yeah. or like, you know, two rows. Couple rows, yeah. All of us are just groaning and sighing audibly during this film. And I turned to Tim at one point and I was like, we still have an hour and a half left. And he was like, what? Yeah. And it's just insane yeah. how terrible this movie is. I, I mean, it... I mean, I, I always give credit where credit's due when people try to back up Bay as this, you know, crazy kind of visual auteur. And, and he does have his defenders and uh, I, yeah. they're, they're more than allowed to defend him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's something about his just kind of misogynistic and angry and ugly tendencies that yeah. just, I've never been and racist <laughs> and race, uh, yeah, <laughs> obscenely racist tendencies that, he gets away with in these Transformers movies, and I don't understand. Yeah. Um. I. I just. I. I can't defend the fact that he makes shiny robots look cool and spin around and stuff. I. Mm-hmm. I just don't care. I just don't care. And I get it. <laughs> like with the first one, how we talked about the the prologue for yeah. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which is tremendous. The first twenty minutes of the first Transformers movie, when they're in the desert and mm-hmm. Scorponok yep. comes through, like that was incredible. Yeah. And then all he has been doing since then is making it worse and worse yeah, yeah. and worse. Like, and it, it just, it feels like he knows that he is going to make money. He knows these films are yeah. going to make money. And he is like, just wiping my hands. There like, has I been do some diminishing care. returns with this last one though. I, 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 I Domestically. Know, I know it's making, you know, a billion so dollars money overseas. Yeah, overseas and maybe they'll never stop making them. But, um, Maybe he will. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even know. I'm pulling it up right I now. I to make another Bad Boys movie. Well, they, they talked about that. I know. Uh, Bad Boys 3, in theory, is supposed to be start starting filming soon. Good. So, oh my, oh, this this hurts. Like, this actually hurts me. Okay, so the budget was $217 million, Oof. Which, when you think about it as a visual spectacle, it makes sense. 
Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the worldwide box office like nine billion, six hundred and five million yeah, dollars. Like, <laughs> come on! Yeah. Like three times your budget. No matter what, it, no matter how it flopped here, because it only made one hundred and thirty here. It only made one hundred and thirty. Four hundred and seventy-five wow. domestic. Yeah. We have not seen the end of Transformers. No, we haven't. <laughs> like, ugh. We haven't. And so, but this film was Dang just it. so, what felt like intentionally bad and just, it was just, it was so terrible. But as we walked out of it, I was actually upset. Mm-hmm. Not to the point where with Snowman, we were laughing about how terrible it was. Yeah, or even Valerian. Even Valerian, uh, with the mummy, we were like, what happened? Like, we were trying to figure it out. Yeah. Transformers, we walked out, all of us, we were just mad. You know what happened. You've seen enough of these. <laughs> okay. Like, well, I mean, that's the point, right? You're mad because you had to sit through the fifth one. They've been doing this crap for years at this point. Yeah. <laughs> they really no- have. Nothing in the film makes sense. No. Uh, it, it tries to go so many places. and it is Bumblebee this... still one? Yes. I don't think I've seen a Transformer f- since the second one. Uh, consider Revenge yourself lucky, of, my Revenge friend. of the Moon or something. Revenge of the Fallen? Oh, yeah. That's no, right. Dark Side of the Moon Dark Side was of the, moon. the third one or the fourth. I don't even know. Like, no, that's a, how many Pink Floyd albums are we in now? Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Amagama was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Animals. Uh, it just, yeah. It, it was so just offensively bad Ugh. that I. it is inexcusable. He's the worst. Transformers The Last Night. Worst movie of 2017. Worst movie. Honestly, the worst movie that I can even remember in in a very very long time. I love this is so good. So this is so good. Just absolutely it's a good terrible. way to end the pod. Just you melting down. <laughs> right. You break your microphones. That's it. Uh, <laughs> and there are so it's many. A good way to end 2017. Quite honestly. Oh yeah, just burn it to the ground. <laughs> burn it to the ground. Just burn it all down. So yeah. Wow. Wow. There, there we go. Those are some lists. Yeah. So and of... we actually we made good time. That was like hour and a half. Oh, that was breezy. Take that. So now we're going to go over our top podcast. 10 lists. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. I haven't prepared uh, anything. Yeah, no, neither have I. <laughs> so, all right. So, quick, a quick recap of your top three goods. Go for it. Top three goods. Uh, I, Tanya, uh, Get Out, and The Florida Project. Excellent. And mine were The Greatest Showman, The Disaster Artist, and Get Out. Your top three bad. Top three bad. Kingsman, The Golden Circle, The Glass Castle, and Alien Covenant. All right. <laughs> my ghost in the <laughs> shell dark tower justice league so good and then <laughs> your three ugly films not including transformers not including <laughs> even though i wrote it down uh valerian suburbicon and justice league okay and my top three worst snowman the mummy and the worst film of all time transformers <laughs> and again this is not a movie where I just realized, by the way, uh-huh. sorry to interrupt you, that <laughs> I saw this fifth Transformers and realizing now that I haven't seen one since the second one. So wow. I I don't think it matters. No. Because I don't think I'd know what was going on anyway. But, no. Um, yeah, it's horrible. And Mark Wahlberg has long hair. It's <sighs> greasy. The product placement oh, by itself. It's obscene. What is obscene? <laughs> I will say though, it has been obscene since the first one as well. Right. Which again, that is okay. When you do it the first time and you're like, all right, kind of wink and a nod. You have a bunch of investors. Yeah, fair enough. Sure. Yeah. Five movies of this <laughs> yeah. to the point where in this one, in his trailer park or wherever the <laughs> hell he is, he is at the bar and he, one, he has one of his machine lackeys 
slide him a beer and you see the whole you see the counter shot the bar yeah you see the budweiser slide oh, yeah. all the way down to his hand like <laughs> yeah walbert's like, drinking a lot of bud uh, yeah he's and, also a super genius in this movie too which cracks me up oh of he's course just, like lives in a junkyard uh, <laughs> i think we got a transformer he's just so good awful Ugh. uh i mean there will be bad films oh yeah of each generation that go down in infamy that people mock and whatever plan nine from outer space is one of the best terrible films. Uh-huh. The Room is the Citizen Kane of bad movies. Yeah. Nobody should ever go back and watch Transformers The Last Night. Oh, no. No. Just... Uh, I tr- think there might actually be worse Transformers movies, but I can't... I haven't no. seen the other ones, so nope. I don't know. They're okay. not. All right. <laughs> no, this is it. Okay. <laughs> this, this was absolute... Anthony Hopkins is in this for no damn reason oh. other than he wants a check. Yeah, he is in it. Wow. I can barely remember it. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Okay. Wow. Wow. All right, cool. So those were uh, our lists for the goodest of the good, the baddest of the bad, the ugliest of the ugly, 2017 edition. Oh, that was fun. Uh, it was. It was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, I like that. Again, I was before we started recording, Ian and I were talking about, I like that I feel, I like that I feel. <laughs> After doing this now for a year and a half, I now have some annual traditions. Yeah. So like the No Shame now. November, mm-hmm. we did. We have done one of those the past two years. This is now our second Goodest of the good, badge of the bad, ugliest of the ugly. <laughs> it's it's great. So I, I like the branding of it, even though it makes it. no sense. And every year, I'm probably going to have to explain it. Just like on every episode, I have to explain the rating really, system. Really, the only <laughs> one you have to explain is the baddest of the bad. Yeah, that one. Well, is- <laughs> we, we can come up with a new name. Yeah, we, we can work on that. The disappointed of the disappointed. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. We can workshop that. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right. So, Ian, where can people find you and your musings on the interwebs? Yes, they can find me at uh, drunksunshine.com. They can follow me on Twitter at Ian Dins, Mm D-I-N-S, and on Instagram uh, at Ian Dins, D-I-N-S. Excellent. Yeah, you do a bunch of reviews. Yes. Uh, You are incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to the film scene. You have been involved in multiple productions. You you know your way in the biz with indie flicks and... Yeah, you, so I definitely appreciate your your knowledge when it comes to that. Well, thank you. It's been really fun. I can't wait to do this a bunch next year. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it is definitely going to happen. Uh, excellent. As for this podcast, like I said, you can follow it on all forms of social media at about to review Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube.com slash about to review about to review dot com about to review dot threadless dot com. I really like brand synergy. <laughs> uh, it is interesting when I listen to podcasts who have way more listenership yeah. than I do. <laughs> and they have different Twitter handles and Instagram handles and the website is not the same. And what I'm like, doing? that just, that, that, sounds, that seems weird. Yeah. I appreciate the synergy. Yeah. I, I do. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> so uh, thank you to Damien from <laughs> Ill-Mannered Media for doing the audio editing and for the original song, uh, the original artwork, actually. Someone that I have not really given credit to, but I really should. Uh, my friend Gretchen uh, was the one who originally came up with the logo. Her and I workshopped oh, awesome. that over a year ago. Very went through cool. a bunch of different designs. Uh, so, yeah. So, thank you, Gretchen, for that. So, for this episode of the About to Review podcast, I have been joined by... Ian Dinsmore. And I have been your host, that guy named John. And we will see you next time. Woo! Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.